This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su N. Now, earlier this month, we've heard of yet another tragic incident where a young child had sadly died after being left in the back of the car. And this is following several other similar incidents um, late last year as well. Now, often described as forgotten baby syndrome, it's of course every parent's nightmare. So why does this happen and how can we collectively as a society prevent it from happening again? So to dive more into this topic, I'm joined today um, over Zoom by Dr. Dr. Amar Singh, consultant paediatrician. Amar, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Sven. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you on too, I guess, and hopefully we can sort of keep the awareness going on a, a very serious topic like this. And mm-hmm. the, the I guess the idea is to figure out how we can all do our part to stop something tragic like this from happening again. But I guess before we get to that um, important bit, which is the solutions, right? I want to talk about this this forgotten baby syndrome in the first place, you know. And it's, I mean, we've all sat in a hot car perhaps from time to time, but could you help us understand why young children being left in cars is so dangerous and in some cases fatal for them, especially when we look at this Malaysian heat? Yeah, I, I think it's not just Malaysian heat, by the way. I think it happens all over the world. Mm. Cars act a bit like a greenhouse, even in cooler countries. So vehicular hyperthermia or heat stroke, as we know, happens very quickly to young children within 20 minutes, usually sometimes even as fast as 10 to 15 minutes. And and there are a number of reasons for it happening. I, I think that one, children's temperature rise much faster, young children's temperature rise much faster than adults. Three to five times is what the data suggests. Mm. Secondly, children, children can't regulate their heat as well. Their sweating mechanisms are not so well developed as ours. And thirdly, they have a larger body surface area, which they got more skin compared to their body mass. So for that reason, uh, you know, the, their temperature can rise much faster. The problem with this is that when you're in a hot car, very quickly, all your organs get damaged. Your clotting mechanism goes, uh, your organs melt, and it's very hard to rescue the children after about 20 minutes in a hot car. That's a very short period of time. I think people, I mean, I would have assumed that it would take much longer for someone to suffer the effects of hypothermia, but 20 minutes is really no time at all. Mm-hmm. Great, yes. I, I think that in some cooler countries, it might take a little bit longer. Some people quote, you know, 45, 55 minutes. But I think mm. in our region, I think by the time 20 minutes, you're asking for trouble already. Mm. And for many people, Amar, you know, whether or not you are a parent, it may be difficult for us to understand, right? How can you as a parent simply forget that your child is in the car, that you've, you know, put the child in the car and then just forget to drop them off? But what are the factors that usually contribute to forgotten baby syndrome? Maybe you could sketch out some scenarios for us. Yeah, I I think that, you know, uh, it's hard to understand, but the mechanisms are similar all over the world. Basically, it's a child in the back seat, in a car seat usually, good parents, putting their child in a, in a car safety seat. And this child often has fallen asleep, so it's not making much uh, noise or not uh, vocalizing with the parent. And, and this parent quite often then is taking a child either to a car, child minder or some other location. And along the way, something distracts this person. Maybe they had an urgent phone call. Uh, let's say you're a doctor and they ask suddenly, uh, can you please come to the casualty right now? We need more manpower. And so they, they drive there quickly rush out the car, go to work, and then suddenly remember their child after an hour or so, and then it's too late. Uh, sometimes it's, it's a change in routine. 
Uh, mom often sends a child, today dad sends a child and he's the one who forgets because it's not part of his habit. So basically the key is uh, event that distracts you, that changes uh, your routine and, and that uh, uh, you know, makes you uh, miss this important uh, uh, you know, fact that your child is at the back. I think that you know, uh, we're in a very busy, we're going in an increasingly busy, distractible world. So I don't think it's just we forget our children. We forget many things these days. We can get mm. sidetracked, distracted very easily. I find myself being distracted very easily as well. Hmm. There's so many distractions. I mean, the first thing I can think of off the bat is our cell phone, right? Our our mm-hmm. mobile phone Correct. that that easily can be a distraction at any time of the day, um, let alone if you have a lot of things to be done in that day. Yes, correct. Mm. I mean, that said, right, and, and we're not discounting, these are good parents. And unfortunately, when these things happen, we see on social media, you know, there will always be segments of society to apportion blame to the parents in what is already a very tragic and traumatic circumstance. Uh, what kind of impact does this then also have on the parents, on the family, as they're grieving the death of a child? Yeah, I, I like to come back to what you just said. These are not bad parents. They're not uncaring parents. They're, they're considerate parents. And I suspect that if ever we could get one or two to come on media and we listen to their story, it would be through lots of tears of their, their own uh, sense of failure about themselves. And we recognize how similar they are to the rest of us and that if this could happen to any one of us. I think there's a very important message. I'd like to say to anybody who thinks that it won't happen to you, you must think that this can happen to any one of us. And I think when we blame them, we add to their grief uh, they've, I think they're, they're really feeling a lot of pain and we, we kind of stab them in the place which is most painful. Uh, long term, I think what happens to them is many of them um, struggle with guilt. Uh, many of them have difficulty forgiving themselves for this uh, uh, event. They have difficulty dealing with it. I, I know some who have relocated. Mm. Uh, they've reported their jobs because they couldn't cope with their employ- employees, their colleagues knowing this, or they've relocated their house to another location, their home. Uh, then occasionally there's also unforgiving family or partner who blames them for this and for that reason end up with a separation. So I think it's a it's a traumatic event. Uh, the journey ahead for them is very, very painful. It's not short. It's, it's a long time. I think the least we could do as society is a bit more compassionate about this. Mm, empathy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. Mm. How would you describe, I guess, awareness among um, the Malaysian community, among Malaysian parents, of the likelihood of something like this happening? Because like you said, Amar, a lot of parents think, I would never do something like this. This would never happen to me. Do you find that parents are actually aware that this could happen? I think everyone right now in the country who has a handphone or has been looking at social media knows about these events, especially with the last uh, four that have happened. Mm. So I think society as a whole has got some mental consciousness. But let me take another example, for example. If I ask parents, you know, do you think a child might drown? And mm. how many children do you think drown in Malaysia? And then the majority will say, well, it's very unlikely. Then I will say 500 children drown every year in Malaysia. And those are not parents who are expecting it, uh, you know, especially in swimming pools in Port Dixon or, you know, on, on a vacation out in, in next to the river. So I, I think we know on one level that Yes, this can happen to parents. Children can die in cars. On another level, we haven't prepared ourselves uh, to prevent this from happening. So just the fact that we know that this happened in society doesn't mean we've changed our behavior. Mm. 
Alright. Um, we'll go for a quick break now and when we come back, we'll talk about those behavioural changes, about what we can do to stop this from happening. On the show with me today is consultant paediatrician Dr. Dr. Amar Singh. We're talking about how we can prevent forgotten baby syndrome, how we can protect young children and support parents to prevent them from accidentally forgetting that their child is in the car. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on the Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su. And today we are talking about the um, very tragic incidences of forgotten baby syndrome where parents accidentally leave their children in the car. And this is more often than not, no, most of the time, it's through no fault of the parents. As uh, my guest for today was saying before the break, consultant paediatrician Dr. Dr. Amar Singh, Sometimes it's just something small that distracts the parents, that breaks the parents' routine, that really then triggers this con- these consequences, these events that lead to um, the child being forgotten in the back of the car. Now, let's talk solutions, Amar. We've seen this happening again and again, year after year, right? If, we, if I dig back through news reports, I mean, not looking at other countries in Malaysia, this is not something new. Yep. If we first look at the parents themselves or the caregivers, what can they do or introduce into their routine so that they don't accidentally leave their child in the car, even when something distracts them? Uh, thanks, Ruan. I think that's, that's critical. We need to build safety routines. I call them disciplines. I think the word discipline is mal-aligned, sadly, but mm. these are disciplines that you, you put into your life so that you can flourish or you can put safety in. For example, in this day and age, I always leave the house with a CO2 monitor. It's a routine because of COVID. Anywhere I go, I measure the carbon dioxide to see the safety levels. So we build routines. And if when we build routines, we're less likely to end up with problems like this uh, uh, child left in the car. So one of the routines that have been suggested is to put something in the back seat with your child, something that you, you need. Uh, I would recommend your handphone as a good item. Of course, you don't put it next to your child. You put it on the floorboard. Mm. Uh, other people put uh, you know their purse or their shoes in the back. I think the shoes only work if you change your shoes into slippers when you drive. I, I think it may not work for men so well who would drive with their shoes. So I think a, a handbag or handphone, I think, is probably the best thing. Huh? Uh, some people have recommended a teddy bear approach, which means uh, you have a teddy bear in the car seat. When you put your child in the car seat, you put teddy bear in the front seat. And so the teddy bear acts as a visual reminder that there's someone in the back seat. Uh, you know, that's So a, a front seat reminder for your back seat uh, child. Uh, there has been uh, software changes like Waze, for example. So if you drive regularly with Waze, then Waze will give you a reminder at the end of the journey mm. if you check the back, and that's useful. Uh, I, I think that one very valuable habit that all of us could develop, it's got a difficult habit to develop, but we check the back. We check the whole car before we leave. That means the moment we open the car door, the first thing we do before we exit is we, we take a, a good look at the whole car. Um, I think if you change your routine, that's the time you really got to be really heightened aware. Uh, the partner can play a role as well, whether your husband or your wife, whoever's taking a child, the other partner could call up in maybe a short while when you're expected to arrive and say, you know, um, have you reached? Is a child okay? And that's another good safety habit that we could build in. Mm. I, I think the best is still the first one, something you need that uh, for work. Uh, your purse or your handphone, which is in the back. Mm, something that you wouldn't leave the car without, right? After. Agreed, that's right. Mm. Then what if we then take one step back and look bigger? The community, um, 
because these parents are usually dropping off their children at mm-hmm. somewhere, at a childminder, childcare provider, nurseries, or, or even kindergarten, right? What can these individuals do as well to be part of that safety network? Yeah. So I think we need to empower our childminders, our nurseries, that uh, they know our routines. So if we don't turn up uh, within maybe 10 minutes, I think 20 is too long, half an hour is, is late. Uh, so within 10 minutes, uh, then we should empower them to call us up and find out what's happening. The problem with this is traffic. Mm. The problem with this in a big city like the Klang Valley uh, might work quite well in Ipoh or maybe Penang, but not necessarily in JB or in KL. But still, I think it's a good safety net mechanism uh, to have. Um, the, the second thing I think the public must play a role is for children they see in cars. So the first role is that we call up uh, and we check uh, how come you, you're not here with your child yet, you know, has anything happened? And I think we mustn't consider that as a nuisance. We consider that as thank you very much for doing this, you know. Mm. Yeah, I'm still, I'm a bit late, but I'm getting there kind of thing. Uh, the second thing is if you see a child in a car, don't wait. Uh, find a mechanism to break the window and rescue that child before there's thermal injury to the child. Mm. Uh, and on that note, Amar, actually, I'm thinking of circumstances where sometimes parents, for example, they leave their children in the car Perhaps they say for a few minutes, window crack open or perhaps the engine is still on to go out, to pop into the shop to buy something, right? Is something like that safe? No, 100% not safe. Never leave your child alone in the car, even with the window crack. That's all a fallacy. I think we should stop that kind of behavior completely. Better to bring your child out with mm. you. Mm. Even it's it's better. So I, I guess because some parents would think that it's such a hassle, right? Or if mm. the child is sleeping, that it's a hassle. But yeah. safety comes first. Agreed, definitely. Mm. I, I think nothing that we do, none of the suggestions we've made so far are bothers. They are long term safety things. Uh, not many children have died, but every one of them is a tragic death and a preventable. Mm. All right. Um, moving on to, I guess, technology, because and I know you've pointed that out yourself. Um, you and your peers have written some op-eds about this and uh, about the role that technology can play um, to as reminders, right? You mentioned ways earlier, but there have also been people who say car manufacturers could play a role as well. Um, how would something like that work? How would something like that be built in to help parents? I think we recognize that behavior change and maintaining a habit is not the easiest thing for all of us. And mm-hmm. so we we routinely, I think, we use devices, we use software to support us in our lives these days. I, I use reminders all the time. Uh, as I grow older, I find that if I don't write something down in my handphone with alarm, I'm going to forget that. Mm-hmm. So similarly, I think uh, calm and it's just an important role to help us remind us that the child is in the back. I think the, the best one, is a real seat reminder. This mm-hmm. would, uh, I, I think it's, this is not, I don't believe in visual reminders as much as I believe in audio reminders. I think audio reminders are better. So the moment you turn off your car or you open your front door, there is an audio reminder that said, have you checked the back seat for a child? So that's an audio. And it's going to be there all the time. It cannot be turned off. It's, uh, there's no mechanism to turn off. So that's a great, uh, uh, I think, uh, me- very easy to put in. I think car manufacturers, this is dirt cheap and can put in really quick. The second one, of course, are a bit more expensive. We have car seat sensors. So if you're carrying a child in a car seat, there's a sensor in a car seat. And if you turn off your engine or open the door, then it goes, alarm goes off because there's still somebody seated in the sen- in the car seat at the back. And the one that's recently been developed, the one I like perhaps long-term to be put into every car, is a child presence detector, a cabin awareness. I think 
some Finnish uh, researchers have done this. They've already patented the technology. Uh, it looks at uh, temperature, uh, uh, minimum movement, slight breathing. So it recognizes the presence of another individual in the car. Mm. And then this reminder is sent to your handphone or the car alarms as a whole. So to tell you that something is is happening. Huh? And this happens the moment you lock the car. Mm. So I think these are, these are already available technologies. And mm. the aim is to try and put them into every car as a routine. But again, I think the first cheap one is an audio alarm when you turn off your car. Mm. That's done quickly. Yes. Mm. I mean, clearly right now, cars, our cars here don't have this. But are these things that parents, if they want to put in, can, can these be accessed here in Malaysia? Have you seen? I, I think the census... Or car seat you can buy online. Mm. I, I would say that some cars, like the higher-end uh, Volvos, which have all very good safety profile, would already have some of these uh, changes in. But it's time for us to push for all cars to happen. Mm. So, and I guess before I get to that policy perspective, right, I want to touch on another group of individuals, which is employers. Um, because... As you've rightly mentioned, Amar, our lives now are very busy. Usually both parents are working full-time jobs. Um, they're sending kids, dropping kids off before they head into work. And unfortunately, among some of the recent cases that we've seen happen, um, this has involved parents or, or a parent who is a healthcare worker as well, which has also led to people pointing out that, look, our healthcare workers are working under very stressful circumstances um, and they are expected to parent at the same time. And of course, this applies to other parents working in other jobs with um, stressful working environments as well. But what do you make of this link between work and parenting? And and I guess if I could expand on that, how can employers then better support parents? Mm-hmm. First of all, I, mean, I agree with you that the healthcare professional uh, job is a, it's a very stressful, it's a very high-pressured uh, uh, job. It's a, it's a rush. I, I When I worked, I, I could never finish. I, I worked... Mm. 10, 11, 12 hours a day, you never could actually meet the, the demand. But I think that's not the only job, as you pointed out. I mm. think there are many jobs. I go to many counter services that people run out. Oh, I'm not sure how they manage the volume and, and the stress that is there. Mm-hmm. So I think it's not just healthcare professionals. It's many jobs. I think a teacher is a very high-pressure job. I couldn't manage a class of 30, 40 kids. <laughs> so I think employers play an important role. Uh, let me take a personal example. For me, I've always looked out for my staff uh, when I ran to departments. And if I find that anybody is struggling, we just tell them you go home, uh, take time off. We will take pick up the slack of your work. And I think employers need to be a lot more sensitive to recognize that parents need support. Huh? This is not to mean that we, we marginalize people who don't have children or are single, but I think parents do need uh, uh, support. Um, I, I think that fundamentally, my personal opinion, Suen, is that you know children need their parent, mm. either the father or mother at home. So ideally, employers should pay us a lot more so that one parent doesn't have to work. That, that is my, my mm-hmm. real solution. I'm not thinking in terms of uh, you know, a utopian or impossible dream. I think this is happening in many uh, Scandinavian countries and, and develop, uh, good developed nations where they value parents as the primary carer of children. So it could be the father staying at home, the mother working, and or the mother working, father staying at home. I, 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 either way, uh, either parent working, I, I, no real harms about it. So maybe that's a long-term solution that we work to, a better wage uh, system. Short-term, I think uh, employers could work better at giving childcare. Mm. Maybe if we have childcare at work, a lot of this could, would happen, would not happen. Now that we have a separate place, drop our child off here and then go to work somewhere else, may not be the best thing. 
Having good childcare at work also means that you can drop by and see your child during lunch and have fun time with them, which will be very good. So those are some simple suggestions. But I think uh, we need to brainstorm in employers what they are prepared to do. Mm. So Productivity then... is not everything. I think mm-hmm. uh, a good working environment is what uh, employees look for. Yeah. Mm. I mean, if parents are thinking in all sorts of directions about both their work and their child, that's not going to lend itself to good productivity, isn't it? Mm-hmm. No, it's not, yes. Mm. So then another step back then, Amar, big picture, policymakers, right? What role can they play? What policies can be introduced top down to ensure that every segment of society is on board to prevent more child deaths in cars? I think that, you know, there have been three key... Uh, I, I do a lot of injury prevention work. So there are three key trusts for injury prevention in children. Mm-hmm. Education environmental change or enforcement. Uh, If you look at the data, and I've looked at data quite hard, education is the weakest. Most people know, but putting into practice is another story entirely. The second one is enforcement. And enforcement is usually after the fact. Although we could use enforcement for car manufacturers, for example, to enforce, uh, you know, uh, safety devices. So environmental change is the one that most people tout and say is the most effective. Mm -hmm. So I think for this to happen and to be system-wide, we need government. Only government can do system-wide. So I think the government must take children's deaths in cars seriously, have focus on it, uh, and, and take action. Uh, and I think the action we need, first of all, is they need to keep, as you are doing right now, keep it in the media eye, uh, promote uh, the measures that we're talking about, the disciplines that parents can take, the measures community can take. And so we sustain this. I think we need a sustain. Uh, input into people's lives about the measures they can they can put into their 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 lives to keep their children safe. But secondly, I'm very much for changing our cars, and mm. that's where the deaths are happening. So make our cars safer. So I think government transport minister meet with the car manufacturers and said, okay, we like you to put in safety devices. This is the minimum standard we want to, if necessary, legislate this uh, in parliament so that it's a, a requirement. As I said, I don't think it's terribly expensive to put in many of these things. I don't need to push up the, the price of the car, you know, and I don't think we should make it optional. Mm. I think we should make it a, a mandatory accessible. If you sell a car seat, there is a sensor inside routinely, mm. uh, you know. Uh, if you sell a car, there's an audio alarm. And I think, as I said, we work towards a long-term uh, cabin uh, uh, sensors. And I think that if the government doesn't take initiative, then it's up to us as the public to pressure the government to get this to happen. Yes. Hmm. Speaking of government initiatives, you know, it's quite interesting to see because re- when, when the most recent case happened, the Slango government said that, okay, they plan to launch an awareness campaign to talk about children's safety in cars. Now, this matches up with what you said, where we educate the public. And yet there was some mixed re- reaction because um, people, some people on social media said that, okay, enough with the awareness, we have to actually do something. And I guess that lends to the enforcement side of things, right? But, but how do we balance? But I guess, is it all about balancing? I, I think that, you know, I, I've read what the Senate government has said, but I think it's not enough meat to tell us what they're actually planning to do. I would like mm. to hear clearly what they do. I, as I said, I'm not against an awareness campaign, but the awareness campaign should focus on specifics, not just don't leave your child in the car, but, you know, specifics of what uh, people could do. Huh? Uh, um, I think internationally, people have run campaigns like that, like look before you lock or, you know, uh, bag in the back, uh, you know, that means keep a bag in the back kind of thing. Uh, and uh, uh, history campaign. So I think those are valuable if they are sustained, they are routine, and they have not just 
a reminder, but uh, specifics. But as I said, education is enough. Uh, it's not enough. We need to push for safety mechanisms that uh, transcend that. And I think most good countries mm-hmm. are doing that. They work. That's why the Finnish people, Finnish people, have worked on safety devices in cars that transcend human behavior. So mm-hmm. I think uh, we need to look at that. And Senegal government maybe could spearhead an initiative to put into an audio alarm into every car. And maybe make it financially viable for people who can't afford it. I think that's the kind of initiatives we look for from our governments. Hmm. Financial, financially viable. That's a key word there, Amar, yes. because we want to make sure that even parents, I mean, parents, especially from um, lower income communities who can't afford it, right? They shouldn't be priced out of what is life saving um, equipment. I agree fully, and and I don't think this problem is one of the rich or the poor. It's of anybody who drives a car with a child. Mm. Now, unfortunately, this is something when when it does happen, right? This is um, parents can be charged under the law for negligence um, for leaving their child in the car. But what do you make of an approach of criminalizing an issue like this? Does it help in any way? Is it constructive? I, I think it doesn't help at all. It, it damages the the conversation and dialogue we're having for change. I think it pushes the whole uh, responsibility back to parents, uh, not to us as society or car manufacturers or governments. So they're not criminals. They're not abusive parents. They're parents just like the rest of us. So I think a, a societal approach, a public health approach is superior. I, I like the recent call by the Malaysian Pediatric Association to also make it a public health initiative. Mm. Uh, and I think that's the way we should go. Hmm. To round up our discussion then, Amar, would you have a takeaway pa- message for parents or anyone who's caring for a child um, when it comes to this issue? Yep. I think um, don't have a false perception. Don't think that leaving my child just for a short moment in the car is is all right. I think no time in the car is safe for a child. Uh, don't think that this won't happen to you. Uh, it can happen to anyone. So uh, be vigilant. Uh, change our behavior, put in safety mechanisms. At the same time, as a society, can we push our government forward uh, to put larger, more uh, you know, nationwide initiatives that benefit everyone? All right. On that note, thank you so much for joining me today, Amar. Thank you, Suen. I've been speaking to consultant pediatrician Dr. Dr. Amar Singh about forgotten baby syndrome and steps that we can take, um, actionable steps that we can take as parents, as people within the community and as um, the right yet to push for better safety for children in cars. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcast on bfm.my or on our BFM app. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.